Romans chapter 1, and let me read you those uh, same seven verses. But I, I think we'll finish this paragraph next week, Lord willing. Uh, let me read you those seven verses uh, once more. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There, there are a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to tonight by way of treating verse 5. Uh, we'll, we'll look at it, um, um, we'll, we'll look at kind of every word, but there's a couple, there's one particular uh, phrase in it that I, I want you to see, and that's really where we're going to throw the, the lion's share of our, our discussions tonight. But before we get to that, there's something else that I, that I didn't want to skip, and that means that I'm going to have to go back to verse 3 just for a moment. You will notice, of course, um, that in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The title that is given to Jesus Christ is one that is frequently found, it, it, particularly in the Gospels, uh, or particularly in the Epistles, uh, primarily by Paul. But he mentions this, this very name, uses this very title, ten times in the book of Romans. Uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, let, let me tell you why I saved it until, the now, until now. Um... In the Greek translation, or in the Greek where the English is translated from, the, the, the name of Jesus is at the end of the verse, not at the beginning. Uh, in terms of its location, it comes at the end, not at the beginning, and translations just throw it in the beginning, and, and that's fine. It, uh, it has no real uh, significance, whether, I mean, in, in the front or the back, but I've stated it uh, for the back for that reason, or I've stated it until now for that reason. I, the terms, I think, are mostly very familiar to you, but um, you, you, it allows me to, to, to say some things that I love to say about the Lordship of Christ. But you will notice that, of course, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me clear away the personal pronoun real quickly. Um, I think it was Martin Luther who said, um, there is a great deal of significance and, and um, importance that is, that is writing on personal pronouns. Um, when, when the Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, um, it's not enough to say that the Lord is a shepherd. Uh, he must be my shepherd. And, and you, of course, can see the significance of, of the personal pronoun. Well, here it is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not really enough, ladies and gentlemen, for you to say Jesus Christ is Lord or, or Jesus Christ Lord, but it's so much more necessary for you to say Jesus Christ, our Lord, or my Lord. But anyway, you've seen, if you've never seen this, and if you have, forgive me, this will bore you to tears, but um, you have seen the little things that we, uh, that people put on bumper stickers and put on their license plates, and they're called ICFUS. Well, you know, they're, they're, people have them on their cars, and, and it's, you know, sometimes they're in a fish, you know, with little Darwins and eating Darwins and all that business, and um, it, it goes, um, well, the, the, we'll put the Greek. Um, and maybe you've never heard what this means. Maybe you have. But it's really a reflection of this title. Jesus Christ our Lord. There's three terms there, but there's more than that here. 
This is a Yesu Christos Bios Weos uh, Soter, which is Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's what this whole thing is about. But this title is a, is a richly significant one, ladies and gentlemen. I, I think you probably know that. Jesus, for instance, is a name that was given to him by angels. And you'll recall, I hope, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where, where the angel comes to Joseph and says, you're going to have a boy, and I want his name to be Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. The, the, the New Testament uh, version of an Old Testament name, Joshua, Joshua, uh, saving his people, uh, uh, bringing them into the promised land. Um, but the New Testament version, of course, is Jesus. It's, uh, it has to do with his saviorhood. The term Christos, uh, or Christ, uh, it's represented in the key, but it's richly significant in the Jewish world because it has a sense of uh, anointed one. It is the Greek term for the Messiah, and if anything that Judaism is still waiting for, it is for the arrival of their Messiah. And uh, to, to claim that title is to claim that indeed this long-awaited, long-expected uh, Messiah that Judaism has looked for is the one that has been given this name. But the, but the title, I think, or the part of the title that is even more significant is that term, Kyrios, um, which of course is translated Lord. Now, gang, that's something that I think you need to know a little bit about. Um, and, and to that end, I've, I've included it on my little sheet here, but um, um, the, the, the term, well, let me back up. And, and I've, I've said this before, and maybe you've heard it before, but you know you have an Old Testament that is written in Hebrew. Okay? It's written in Hebrew. Then you have a New Testament that's written in Greek. Now, in between those two is what's called the intertestamental period. There's about 400, 450 years between the, the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi, and, and the opening of the New Testament, or the, the events of the New Testament. About four, they call them the intertestamental period. Were, those, those are silent years. Um, but uh, in between the Old Testament and New Testament is something that is known as the Septuagint. The Septuagint is a, is a Greek rendering of the Old Testament. And it's called the Septuagint because it was translated in 70 A.D. Now, the significance of the Septuagint is this. We can go back to 70 A.D. and find out what Greek words translated Hebrew words. So, we can go back 2,000 years and find out what kind of Hebrew, Greek word would represent an Old Testament concept? For instance, if you go to Exodus chapter 3, and I think you know the events of Exodus chapter 3. Moses has already slain the Egyptian. He's over there and married Zipporah. Uh, he's with his father-in-law Jethro. And uh, he's walking around the backside of a mountain, and a bush begins to burn, and it's not being consumed. And he says, Behold, I think I will behold this, this marvelous miracle. So he turns around and this thing begins to talk to him. And uh, he says, take off your shoes. Uh, you're walking on holy ground and all that business. And he says, uh-oh. Um, who are you? You know, I want you to go back and I want you to learn my people. And he says, all right, when I get in front of Pharaoh, he's going he to want to know who told me to do this. And of course, uh, he says, well, you tell him, you tell him Yahweh sent you. Uh, Yod, hey, Bob, hey. 
That's, that's the Jehovah, uh, that's the, what they call a Hebrew tetragrammaton. The, uh, the four-syllable uh, or the four-consonant um, name of God. I am Jehovah. Now, now, that's not really the important part, ladies and gentlemen. But when you read in Exodus chapter 3, um, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of God, uh, Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham. Now, the point is, there is this new introduction of the term Lord. It's found from, from Exodus chapter 3 forward. You find this term, Yahweh, Lord. So, here in 70 AD, this book is translated. The Old Testament is translated into Greek, which would mean it would be very reliable. What term do you think these translators used to translate this? <laughs> I should have put it over here. Yod, hey, um, oops, yod, hey, vav, hey. Yeah, that. What Greek term do you think they used to translate I am? They used the Greek term curios. Now, now, gang, when Jesus, when that title, curios, is used to, to name this one, do you understand the import? What is being claimed by using this term to describe Jesus of Nazareth, the claim simply is that Jesus of Nazareth is this guy. This guy and Jesus, same person. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the, 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 the title Jesus Christ our Lord is richly significant richly significant in terms of its claims. Um, I, I can say, ladies and gentlemen, and this is one of my pet peeves in the evangelical community, nowhere, 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 ladies and gentlemen, does the New Testament ever, ever invite you to accept Jesus as your Savior. Never, never, which has spawned, ladies and gentlemen, a, a somewhat of a theological dialogue and disagreement, which, which I think sucks the lifeblood out of the church by saying to people that you can get Jesus today and sometime in the near future, if you, so, if you are so inclined you might want to take him as Lord. No, ladies and gentlemen. Never does the Bible ever give that kind of suggestion that his saviorhood is separated from his lordship. Never. Never. There is never to be any divorce between justification and sanctification. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, and, and by the way, I, I included a couple of texts for you. The one out of Colossians 2. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive him? You received him as Lord. Now, having done so, 
walk that way. For heaven's sake, walk that way. And then one of my favorites is in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you made him. <laughs> but I know what God made him. And God made him both Lord and Christ. And when I come into relationship with him, I come into relationship with him just that way. Indeed, there, is, there are varying degrees of my yieldedness and, and carnality and all that business. I, I don't deny any of that. But I'm saying, to say to people that you can get a ticket to heaven stuck in your pocket, and then sometime later on you can really get serious about Jesus and following him, ladies and gentlemen, is a, is a, is a grievous error. Because the one who Paul is about to tell us about is Jesus Christ, our Lord. None of that is ever to be divorced. He is Messiah, he is the Savior, and he is Lord. All one grand and glorious package. Now, um, having said all that, let, let's try to work through verse 5 tonight. Because there's really, really only one thing in verse 5 that I want you to see. Um, but I do want you to see that. Um, <clears throat> Paul is, is overwhelmed because of this magnificent Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and it is because of him, he says in verse 5, through him we have received grace. This, this former persecutor of the church and the one who uh, roamed the countryside trying to find Christians that he could kill. Uh, it, it is through this glorious person that I found grace and apostleship, um, which was denied by his enemies, denied by his uh, detractors, that he indeed was uh, an apostle. Um, but it, it was through this person that I was given grace and apostleship. Now, the, the question becomes, for what? What is this calling of an apostleship? What is your task, Paul? Having found grace and having, having been granted this apostleship through this glorious person, for what? What is the end of your apostleship? What is the task set before you, Paul? He says, For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, gang, there is a, there is a, just a really neat statement in there. Because Paul could have said, he, he had the whole Greek language available to him, ladies and gentlemen. He could have said, well, he's called me in to be an apostle because I'm trying to evangelize the, the, the world. Um, he could have, I've been called into the gospel ministry because I'm here to uh, state the truth about what's uh, true and what's, what's false. He could have, he could have used, he, uh, I, I, I've been called an apostleship to preach salvation. But he doesn't use any of that. His language, ladies and gentlemen, is in here, and, and, and I'm afraid, um, and, and by the way, I could, I could teach what I'm about to teach in a, in a thousand different places in this book. But notice what his apostleship is designed and intended to do. It is designed to produce an obedience to the faith in all the nations for his glory. 
Now, gang, that is an interesting little phrase, obedience to the faith. By the way, um, it, it could be uh, translated also ob the obedience of faith. Um, either one basically says the same thing. But gang, don't, don't, don't be confused. This is not, I've been called to tell people to obey so that they can get faith. I've been called to, to, into an apostleship so that we can produce enough obedience that will ultimately conclude in faith. No, ladies and gentlemen. This is an obedience of faith. That's what he is trying to produce in people. An obedience of faith. Isn't that nifty? <laughs> of all the words that he could have used, he says, I, I'm, I'm seeking to do this to produce a faith that goes on to obey. Gang, a, a couple of texts I, w I wanted you to see. One is on the sheet is in um, Romans chapter 6. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you, to which you were delivered. Again, Paul could have said, man, you used to be slaves of sin, but I'm glad you're saved now. You used to be slaves of sin, but boy, I'm glad you're redeemed. I'm glad you've come to Jesus. I'm glad you're going to church. No. You used to be slaves of sin, but... The thing that fills my heart with joy about you people is that you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. The thing that you heard me preach, you obey from the heart. Um, one of the texts that I don't have down there, this is in Romans chapter 10. Let me just read it to you, Romans 10, 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah, the Lord who has believed I report, etc., etc. My, my point was, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. When, when, when Paul gets ready to describe people who are redeemed, he describes them as people who have obeyed from the heart. When he gets ready to describe those who are not redeemed, you know how he describes them? He describes them as people who have not obeyed the gospel. <laughs> um, faith, ladies and gentlemen, Faith is obedience to the Word of God. Now, 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 don't misunderstand me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that the only thing that we must do is obey something. But I'm saying that genuine Holy Ghost authored faith is the kind of stuff that produces obedience. Hands down. Case closed. You know, um, this morning in my own uh, devotions, I was reading. It's it's on this little sheet, and um, Jesus is doing all these wonderful things, and you know, passing through certain sections of Palestine, and people are praising, "Oh, Jesus!" And somebody yells out. Some lady yells out, "Blessed is the woman, blessed is the womb that bore you, Jesus. Blessed are the breasts that suckled you, Jesus." And Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. More than that." Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is the constant theme of the New Testament that where there is faith, there is obedience.
It is the obedience of faith. <laughs> and now, now, it is not obedience that precedes faith. That's reverse order. You know, and, you know, guys, I, I, I think people um, in their mind's eye have a, have a mistaken sequence. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's not the obedience that leads to faith. It is a faith that inevitably and invariably leads to obedience. It is the obedience of faith. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, I marvel at Paul taking time and taking such, such detail to make sure that there's no misunderstanding in the gospel. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, there's misunderstanding galore. It is not that he's excited that there is obedience to a law. No, no, no. It is obedience of faith. That is Paul's purpose. Uh, he is not even calling people to accept the gospel. He is calling people to an obedience of faith. Gang, believing the gospel is not simply an intellectual matter. Um, Although it, it certainly includes the intellect, and I'm certainly, you know me better than that. I'm not trying to depreciate uh, the value of good, sound, solid thinking. But believing the gospel is not merely an intellectual matter. Believing the gospel involves and requires a surrender of ourselves to this Jesus. I, I have one other down here that I wanted you to see that I just loved. Um, it's the little story. You know about the story. The guy had two sons. <laughs> Boy, if you've got children, you've you got to love this story. Uh, you got two sons, and uh, he says, uh, he comes to his boy and says, Hey, son, why don't you go outside and uh, work in the field some? And the boy said, I'm not going to do it. And um, text goes on to say, it's right here. Uh, text goes on to say, um, he felt bad about it, and he went out in the field and worked. And then there's that other son. He said, now, son, why don't you go out in, uh, in the field and, and, and work some? And the boy says, okay, I'll go. And then he doesn't go. And then Jesus says, which of the two did the will of his father? <laughs> which, who did the will, ladies and gentlemen? But, but you notice the one that did the will of the Father, it wasn't enough for him simply to regret the fact that he had disobeyed in the first place. It was imperative that he get his little honey out in that field and work. Because it wasn't enough to simply regret. And it's not enough, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of understanding the, the Christian faith to simply intellectually or make some kind of intellectual claim. Um, gang, um, believing is not simply a statement that we believe. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, you know, I don't say many profound things. That's one of them. Genuine saving faith is not simply saying I have saving faith. It's not enough to be saddened that you blew it in the past. You better get your honey into the field. 
Paul has been called into an apostleship to bring men to the obedience of faith. <laughs> obedience produced by faith. They always go together, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, I could spend the rest of our evening, but um, gang, the evangelical world in the 20th century is riddled with what many would call an easy believism that tells people that they can nod their heads in the direction of Jesus and, and then all will be well. Um, Paul wasn't out to produce that in the nations, ladies and gentlemen. He was out to produce the obedience of faith. Uh, it is an obedience that begins one way and, and flourishes and grows and matures and develops in another way, and indeed so. But there is always an obedience as a result of this faith. That's what we proclaim, gang. Let me, let me wind this up real quick. Uh, notice he also mentions in verse 5 his motive. Um, well, actually, first, he, he mentions where this is to be done. It is among all nations. Um, you know, this is really the theme of all of his epistles. Uh, read, if you can, if just chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. And it is always Paul's intention that uh, this that this salvation be announced and proclaimed abroad. Um, You've heard me say, and, I, and, and I, I wonder if people really understand what I'm saying, but um, this church doesn't exist for you. It exists for them. My brother and sister in Christ, we exist for them. And um, Paul's apostleship was one that uh, he understood this obedience of faith was to be taken to the nations. And then he says, finally, his motive being simply for his name. Why are you doing what you're doing, Paul? Well, it's for his name. You know, that's, a, that's something that people trip up over also, for his name. I think you realize that um, name, name always stands for the revelation by which we know the person indicated. Did you, did you get that? I've got one other text down here on a little white sheet. Uh, this, is, this is only two chapters later. Three, and, and God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Do you understand what God is saying? Names, ladies and gentlemen, are the progressive way that God exposed and revealed himself. Names are the way that we discovered things about who God was. How did you learn that God was almighty? Well, he told us through the name El Shaddai. How did you know that he was self-sufficient and independent? Well, we knew it because he gave himself a name of Yahweh. How do we know that God sees? Because he gave himself the name El Roi. Those were names, but they were pieces of self-revelation. They were, they were continuing to tell people who he was. And he says here in chapter 6 of Exodus, those people didn't know me like this. They didn't know me by this name. They knew me as God Almighty. But I'm telling you guys, Israel, I'm telling you, something else new about me. 
And so when Paul says for his name, he, he, is, he is using the name, the, he's using that term name in the way the Bible always uses it, as, as a representation of all that that person stands for in terms of what we know about his character. Names are descriptive, ladies and gentlemen. And um, he is doing this for the name. You know, when we say we pray in the name of Jesus, well, gang, what we're, what we're hopefully saying is that we're praying consistent with the character of the one whose name happens to be Jesus. Um, simply, um, Paul says that what he was doing, he was doing it in hopes that that this person that so overwhelmed him um, would get all the glory for what he did. Um, is that why you do what you do? I want to read you one text, and then we're finished. It's in First, uh, excuse me. It's in First Peter. It's not on the little sheet. It's in First Peter chapter two. Let me read it real quick. This is, uh, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did he call you out of darkness into his marvelous light and make you into a chosen generation, a royal priest, a holy nation, his own special people? So that you may proclaim the praise of the one who did that. Gang, um, when you're, um, do you remember when you first fell in love with your wife? and how uh, much you wanted other people to know what a profound human being she was to justify the fact that you fell in love with her. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, when you do love people, you like everybody else to think highly of them too. That's what we've been called, to make sure those excellencies are declared and proclaimed to the nation. Let's, um, let's first um, give you a chance to leave if you need to get to a meeting and, and acquire it. It's, uh, it is time. Wasn't, weren't they wonderful Sunday morning, y'all? <coughs> Jerry, I hope you're going to a meeting. Good. <laughs> I was, I was afraid that you were going to sing. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Our Father, uh, we do thank you for your word. It is a rich book that uh, leaves no doubt as to what it is that we're supposed to embrace and uh, what it is that we're, the, the way it is that we're supposed to live. And Father, I pray that this might be a, a place where the gospel is proclaimed in all of its glorious fullness and that we might not err by not telling this generation enough. Might we tell them indeed what Paul saw himself called as an apostle to say, that we are here to proclaim the obedience of faith, an obedience that grows out of hearts that are so full because we have found a resting place for our souls in Christ Jesus. Thank you again, Father, for all these people who are interested in your word. And I pray that more and more they'll find delight in it. 
we do want to mention the bells tonight, O oh God, and ask that you will continue to bring balm to their souls. I'm grieving mom and dad, and I pray that you will give them the hope that can only come through the gospel. We commit ourselves to the end of making your excellencies known, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys, and good night.